Welcome, and thank you for pressing play. I'm Crystal Bergfield, and this is Back to School with Crystal Bergfield. Throughout history, great teachers have stepped forward to help show us the way to coexist in society. They have urged us to consider our role in community. Just like those teachers, I am offering up my knowledge and experience to contribute to a just, responsible, and innovative United States. Through storytelling, interviews, and in-depth discussions, I will dive into the issues that plague our society and highlight new ideas that could contribute to a healthy nation. This podcast is part of a larger curriculum to educate Americans about our society. Find your seat, take a breath, and prepare to expand your mind, your heart, and your reality. Hello, friends. Crystal Bergfield here. This week's episode is Can You Afford the American Dream? Let's get into it. When those of us holding up the system, our country, those of us doing the majority of the work in this country can no longer afford to live in this system, the system is broken. And it's our responsibility as everyone who live in a society together It's our responsibility to address what's broken. We could blame the government. We could blame uh, politicians. We could blame ourselves. We could blame certain groups, right? And and there is a lot of blame happening. Um, But what it comes down to is that regardless of the blame, we need to address it. And I've noticed, I've been observing that in our American society, we like to blame a lot. We like to point fingers and we like to argue about situations, but rarely do we address the roots of an issue. So I come back to this question. When those of us who are holding up our country and and working hard to ensure that the jobs get completed in our country, and those of us who are doing this work are unable to afford a living wage to afford to live in this system, it's broken. And so how do we address it? And and how do we get to the roots of the causes of these issues? One thing that I know very clearly is that when you follow the money of any given system or situation, You can typically find the roots of that situation, especially when we live in a capitalistic society, because we know that capitalism is uh, driving uh, profit. Capitalism is a system that allows us to focus on uh, meeting these needs of profiting in the country. So when the system's not broken, let's go back and look at the money trail, or let's look at where the money is going. Let me give you a few facts and percentages here for you. I'm looking at some statistics from the Pew Research Center from 2018. And they researched the average hourly wages in the United States over time from 1964 to 2018. In 1964, the average wage, the average hourly wage was $2.50. Today, in 20, well, we're in 2019, but in 2018, the average hourly wage was $22.65. In 
Now, when they go back and adjust and look at 1964 in today's terms, they can accurately identify what the rate would have been back then in today's terms. So today in 2018, our average hourly wage is $22.65. In 1964, that average wage was $20.27 in 2018 terms. We have had a raise of about $2.50 over the course of 60 years or 55 years here. $2.50 raise. Then we can go and look at the inflation rate. And we're able to see that inflation, so inflation is the rising costs of everything. There's, there can be inflation in wages, but um, what I'm talking about is the inflation of the cost of living. And so we think about the inflation of rent or mortgage. We think about the rising costs of energy. When we look at the inflation of the cost of living, we could also include the costs of education and food. When we look at that inflation rate, inflation has risen at a faster rate than our wages. What does that mean? That means that we haven't really gotten a raise. We've been making the same amount of money over those 60 years, and the cost of living is now more expensive than it was then. Basically, we are getting less for our buck today than we were getting in 1964 or anywhere in between. So we can see that there is a problem here. If we have not in 60 years, think about that, 60 years time, we've had a lot of changes in 60 years. And to know that our wages, the amount of money that we're earning hasn't really changed, well, $2.50, which won't even get you a sandwich at any local sandwich shop anymore. If that's as far as we've gone, the system is broken. We've got an issue here. Let's talk about how this happens. How do our wages stagnate? I guess before I talk about how the wages stagnate, I want to mention that our productivity is high. As Americans, we are the one of the most productive nations, if not the most productive nation. We are, um, by and large, working longer hours than any other first world country. And in our productivity, we still haven't seen any change in our wages. And it used to be that when a corporation, let's say they're making cars, when that um corporation starts to make more money on these cars and, and produce more cars, those folks actually making the cars would get a, a portion of that raise. So they their wages would go up with that, with that productivity. CEOs always got a little bit more than the workers, but it, they went up together. They rose together as, as a business or as a corporation. Somewhere along the way, corporations figured out how to keep wages the same and continue to drive up productivity and are keeping a lot of that money 
for themselves, for their stockholders, for for those people who are also playing a different game than just the productivity game. Business has become quite complicated. It's no longer just about providing a service or providing um, something for our consumption, but now there's the buying and trading of um, stock option or stocks and um people can buy into companies. And so now this company where the person making the cars and the CEO were both getting a raise along the way, they've pulled in other interests to be able to buy and trade this company and what this company is worth. And that complicates things. And somehow we've stopped caring about those people actually doing the work and ensuring that their wages go up as well. There is no responsibility to the workers. How does that happen? Who holds the responsibility to ensure that the workers get fair wages? Throughout our history, we have had unions to do some of this work. And unions are an organization that go to bat for the worker. And there are unions across many industries. Within each industry, it's interesting, if you look at the research around it, unions go to bat for their union members, for those folks who have paid union dues. And so they ensure that the working conditions are humane. They ensure that workers are getting what their value is and the the amount of money that they should be getting for said work. They fight for benefits, for pension and health insurance. But the really cool thing about unions that um, we don't often think about is that unions, when they go to bat for their union members, it also affects the rest of the industry. When there is competition in industry, and let's say... Um, let's just say that it's um, a laborers union for plumbers, right? And the plumbers that are in the union, the union goes to bat for them. But those other plumbers who are not a part of the union, they also get some effect from from that union. And actually, let me pull up a statistic that I was just looking at. According to Economic Policy Institute, strong unions set a pay standard that non-union employers follow. For example, a high school graduate whose workplace is not unionized, but whose industry is 25% unionized, pay 5, 5% more than similar workers in less unionized industries. What that statistic is saying is that when there is a threshold of union members in any one industry, the pay increase affects those that aren't even union members. So they, there's a benefit in pay, that pay raises across the industry, but there's also um, those benefits that we don't often talk about. And, and one that I just spoke about was the working conditions. And so when a union goes to bat for the workers, the environment in which they work is affected. And so if a union says, hey, this is not a humane condition or this is not a safe working condition for my for the employees that are also union members, guess who else benefits from that? The non-union members or the non-union workers. They're in the same environment. Therefore, they also get those benefits. And and they're, the benefits are, are pretty vast across um, industry when there is union. Now, things 
we've had some issues with unions um, in in how they are valued, and there's been a, a struggle across uh, union lines and is there corruption and and all of this again just an argument, nothing getting solved. Um, but the the sheer fact is that unions have done so very much for employees to ensure that we are given our workers' rights and to ensure that we have working conditions that are uh, humane and safe for us. So at the end of the day, unions give workers bargaining power to the people, and they also drive up our personal power to earn what we're worth in the workplace. Beyond unions, there are other folks who are responsible for ensuring that American workers have rights. And we've seen throughout history that our government has enacted legislation for protections of our rights. In 1938, we began to protect children through working laws. Um, We have throughout history put legislation into place to protect those with disabilities uh, and they they understand their responsibility. They have passed this legislation in the past. So they know that they are responsible to ensure that we have situations where we can not only survive, but we can get what we are worth as workers. And the federal government sets a minimum wage. The minimum wage is what the government decides, and, and it's at federal and a state level, but the, the government decides that this is the lowest wage that we are willing to pay our American employees. Right now, that federal minimum wage is at $7.25. That was set in 2009. So while they know that they have this responsibility, we haven't had any changes. There hasn't been anybody um, going to bat at a federal level for workers. We've had lots of great strides in in particular states, ensuring protections for workers, um, but we continue to erode on a federal level to protect those workers. So just to recap, the government's responsible, unions have pitched in and have become responsible to fight for our personal power, our bargaining power in the workplace. And when we don't have bargaining power in the workplace, we start to slip down a slippery slope where we see that inflation is rising higher than our wages. Uh, 80%, almost 80% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And Again, I come back to this idea or this, uh, this understanding that the majority of us working in the United States, 80% of us doing work in the United States, going to work, putting our 40 hours in, some of us manual labor, some of us, you know, maxing out our brain power, whatever the work is, we're putting it in and we are 80% of us living paycheck to paycheck. The system is broken. We could also address here the gaps in between women and men's work here in our country. I believe across the board it's about 80% now that women earn 80% of what a man would earn. So that's across the board. And if you look in each industry, it's a bit different. I, I believe I saw in some statistics that there were one or two industries where women actually made more than men, um, but those were predominantly uh, female-dominated industries. 
But what that means is that if we pay John $100,000 to build us a house, $100,000 for a house because John made it, what we, what the data is showing is that we were we would really only pay Sarah $80,000. That's what the numbers are saying. So women are making less compared to men. And then that doesn't even account for being a, a minority or having a disability. There are also statistics that support uh, showing how the disparity is greater when you are a woman and a minority or even just a, a minority male compared to a white male. Basically, the gold standard in our country currently is white males, and those white males get paid the most across the board. This isn't to say that every white male is making buku bucks, because we know that's not the truth. Uh, again, 80% of us are struggling to survive here, living paycheck to paycheck. But what that does mean is that while the white males are struggling, there's also a 20% more burden on women and minority groups, more on certain minority groups, um, to stay above that same water. And so that that brings me around to the fact that when nobody is fighting for the rights of the people, we continue down the slippery slope, as I just mentioned. Every generation has the environment that they were brought up in become adults. And then as adults, every generation is responsible to ensure that people are taken care of. We, we treat children, for the most part, we treat children as um, sacred, as precious gems or, or something to be, be protected. Um, and, and there's this understanding that they need education and they need care and they need mentoring. But somehow when they become 18, and, and you know, this is by and large, it's not across the board, right? There are some children who are not supported. But somehow when we become 18 and get that stamp of adult, the support disappears. And then here we are all as adults just fighting for ourselves, trying to maintain that we have, um, that we can pay our bills. And so then we leave it to the 18-year-old to ensure that they can just pay their own bills. What does this mean when nobody is fighting for the rights of the people? It shows in our minimum wage. We haven't increased our minimum wage in over a decade. That's a sign that nobody's fighting for the rights of the people. When we have a lack of respect for human capital, and, you know, that minimum wage piece, that's part of the lack of respect. Working conditions is a, a symptom of lack of respect for human capital. The treatment in, uh, in, in where we're working, the, the trickle down that happens in, in the workplace. When nobody goes to bat, when nobody is fighting for the rights of the people, we continue down this slippery slope. And I mentioned that in a capitalist society in which we are, we have determined that in business, in any place that they are working towards making a profit, people, the workers, become an expense. And so for the, the managers or for those running the business, they have to take into account how much can we pay this person? How much are we willing to pay this person? And when doing that, they think about their marginal product of labor. So it's the employee's marginal product of labor. 
employers as they are setting a wage for how much they will pay, let's say, an analyst. They have to take into consideration, how much work is this analyst going to put out for us? What do we value this work at? What's the education of this analyst? And what is their prior experience? All of these things go into consideration for them to decide what they will pay each worker. In that, we've also valued work differently. So, for example, if we are working at Tesla and Tesla has a great culture and they're putting out products that are pretty expensive, they can afford to pay their workers more than McDonald's where you are selling 99 cent fries and Big Macs. The product of labor that that employee is bringing in as a McDonald's employee is quite a bit less than the Tesla employee. So we get into this valuation. And again, I come back to the businesses are for profit. So when we place value on humans as now an expense, that slippery slope sets in of how much do we value these people? And so we start to lose that respect for human capital in um, the working conditions, in how we have communication with our workers. Are we dehumanizing them and how we speak with them? Are we taking away benefits from people? Are we expecting that they work over their 40 hours for those who have a a salary and expecting longer hours and and also coming to meetings or um, doing catch-up work after hours? The expectations that we put on folks is partly to blame on that devaluation of human capital. If we truly valued our workers and truly valued American workers, we would ensure that they are able to come to work in a safe environment, in an environment where they can be productive which means that there's, it can't be hostile. We can't be worried about whether we're going to live or die at work or whether our character is going to be assaulted or um, our values are going to be threatened. In order to feel safe, there are certain things that we require as human beings. So as nobody is fighting for these rights, we begin to lose these rights. We also loosen on those regulations that do protect workers. And over time, there have been regulations put into place to protect workers. But there's that, that fine line when we continue to erode at our human value in, in really fighting to make sure that, that our workers are protected and that and that they're healthy and that they're happy. And really, is it even our business if if workers are healthy and happy? (laughs) Is it? You know, maybe it's not. But I would argue that if people hate their jobs, they're not going to be super productive. Uh, We know that if, if somebody is angry, the energy that they have in anger feels a lot different when we walk in and somebody's smiling at us and, and friendly towards us. It matters. It matters that we're happy because it 
happy people are more productive people. And you can argue with me all day long that it doesn't, it's not our responsibility, but we live in a society where we have signed this social contract saying, I'm here to be an American and I will give up certain rights and freedoms to live in a society where I have other rights and freedoms. And that includes those who employ us. They have rights, they have responsibilities to ensure that their workers are safe. And I would assume, and and there are some really great companies out there who want their workers to be happy because they understand it. They know that if their workers are happy, they're going to be more productive and uh, that more productive. Yes. And also when there's a customer service call, if you have a happy customer service agent, then you have more happy customers. So happiness does come into play here. What we're coming up against is that there's a generational shift. And so while this work has been being done even before I was here on this planet and and folks have been fighting for workers, here I come and here come these younger millennials who are saying this, this is still not right. People are being killed or, you know, people have unsafe working conditions. So we still we're seeing it more and more. It's more in our face. And in that shift, there's a little bit of a struggle because those who came before us, you know, baby boomers or the builders of our generation would say, we've come a really long way. Stop complaining. Right. They've seen a different reality than we see now. But what is happening right now is that we're not making enough money to support ourselves in this economy. We send these 18-year-olds out into the world to say, hey, you're on your own now, you've got to survive. And we know by the data that it is not a living wage. Minimum wage is not a living wage. So while we have come a long way, so has the system. It's corroded. It's corroded further, and, and it's not supportive of the people. And let's talk about some of the changes that have happened over time. The computerized work, new technologies that changes our work, women entering the workforce, sending work overseas. Um, These are all pieces that play into this giant puzzle of figuring out how do we how do we take care of our employees? Do we take care of our employees? But all of these pieces that I just mentioned they put a little a bit of a twist on things or they they start to add another element just as the element of a living wage versus minimum wage adds an element to it there's now a responsibility for our government to ensure that people can make a living wage because we know it's not possible right now on that minimum wage as i mentioned over time jobs evolve as we evolve the types of jobs that are needed, the amount of jobs that are needed, and how those jobs are provided and, and the working conditions that, that are we provide those jobs in. Everything is always shifting, and there's always change. So why such the struggle? Why is there a struggle in this change? Well, I would argue that we've sped up quite a bit. There were simpler times. Were they better times? I don't think so, but they were much simpler. We could say that. Today, there, there's more consumption. There's uh, uh, more productivity. There's, there's just more and more. And so when we speed up, it can make a lot of people uncomfortable. And 
we can become really unstable in our foundations. And with so much changing, it's it's even more important then that we understand that that things are changing and that change is inevitable. Just like a child growing up, you know, when they're a baby, they start to get their teeth in and you can't stop it. Babies are going to get their teeth in. It's part of our growth, part of our change. And yet it sucks. It's really uncomfortable. Babies get fevers and they cry. And and um, so growing, it's difficult and it's just part of our evolution. So how do we begin to to value the workers once again? Um, how do we fight for unions or fight for the government to fight for us? How do we get to that place where we start to value human capital, human life once again in this country? We definitely have to have conversations. And generations throughout history have, as I said, they have their own struggles, they have their own tests, they have their own achievements, what they have created. And in our society, our previous generations, they created this American dream, and many of them have found it or some semblance of the American dream. And by and large, that American dream is a, a house, some would say with a picket fence, um, with a couple of children, or but you at least have something that's stable and that's yours. And that is has been the American dream. Today, that American dream is not possible for younger generations. It's not possible and we don't want the same dream. That wasn't that's not our dream and we don't want it. Is it a bad dream? No, but it's not ours. So now we're in this struggle of the generations, right? This, these older generations are saying, this is the American dream. We all work hard. We eventually get there. And here the younger generations are saying, that's not our dream. We don't want this. And no, we actually can't achieve it. We're not able to get our heads above water. We're not able to go to school and pay for our student loans and pay for rent and all of the other things to live. And then again... One of the greatest things that I've learned from the older generations is work ethic. I grew up on a farm, and my dad taught me from the age of three to come out and help him with the animals. And so learning hard work and learning the ethic of getting up every day and taking care of the animals, getting up every day and making my bed and... Um, putting my clothes on for school and getting my homework done. That was part of the work ethic. Those were things that I had to do independently. And I learned that ethic from my father and from his generation and from watching that generation and, and all older generations than me um, do that. Right. And, and we were taught that if we work hard, it'll pay off and we can earn that American dream. But that's not true today. It's not possible for somebody to work hard at the bottom rungs of the ladder and to be able to achieve that American dream. And so that brings me to another question. What is the American dream? Does it need to be the exact same thing for everybody? Or is the point that this is America and we all get to choose our dream? We all have the freedom to pursue our right of happiness, 
our version of happiness. So I would ask you today, what is your version of the American dream? And can you do it through hard work alone or having a work ethic? Sometimes we talk about hard work as the only way to get ahead. What does hard work look like? Does it always mean using your body to work? I would say no. Um, Anyway, I digress. The question is, what is the dream for your generation? What is the dream for you? And do you feel like you can get to that dream? Is it possible for you to achieve the American dream in this country? Whatever that dream is for you. I'd love to hear about it. So that's your reflection for today. I'd like to close by reading something written by a close friend. And it gets to the point of where we are in the battle for wage equality, in the battle for a living wage. And we're not asking for a handout. Often that becomes the argument (laughs) that there should be a handout. We're not asking for a handout. In fact, I just told you that Americans are the most productive nation and we work harder than any other nation. A lot of uh, first world countries, if you will, they're not working 40 hours a week. (laughs) They're working 30 hours or 25 hours. Um, But so we, we work our asses off. Let's not be confused about that. And nobody's asking for a handout. But what I'm going to read to you is um, gets to the point of the change and the struggle that we all are a part of as we live here. Every generation meets their predecessor on the battleground of change or growth. Each time this battle has started in violence and eventually end in more of the same. With the predecessor looking for an apprentice to prove themselves superior enough to replace them, there is a unique opportunity to have a peaceful transition where the apprentice outsmarts its predecessor with respect and looks them straight in the eye and shows them that they are ready and can take care of things. And it's okay to let go. So, hmm... It is a battle. And right now it's a little violent in our heads on our social media. Um, Sometimes in person that battle flares up and there are real physical consequences and not always against generational lines. But there's this gripping of holding on to the way things are because it's comfortable or because we did it so you need to do it too. Do we? This has been Back to School with Crystal Bergfield. Thank you for taking your precious time to invest in yourself, your community, and our country. Now go out there and shine, baby, shine. Our country needs us now more than ever. If you like what you heard, please check out the curriculum link and dive into more learning already live. Then head over to my website and donate to the cause. I'm offering my curriculum for free, so it's up to you to see the value in what I'm doing and support your girl along the way. I'm excited to dive into more learning next week. I'll see you then. Take care.